Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the Give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. Hey, we're talking about being transparent and vulnerable and all that kind of stuff. How are you guys doing with it? You guys doing all right? You guys being real vulnerable out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total quiet on the vulnerable part. It's about what I thought, but uh, you know, we'll keep going. Um, hey, uh, before we get started, uh, I want to draw your attention to a few different teachings, a few different things that, uh, if you don't know, one of the, one of the goals, one of, one of the things we believe God has positioned us to do is to uh, put out resources that you can use and listen to and, and all that kind of stuff. I know podcasts are all the rage again, you know, I think that's fun and people want to listen to things. Uh, let me draw your attention to a few things that were really good. Uh, if you don't know, on 9.30 on Sunday mornings, we have a uh, class on Sunday mornings that meets right here. Uh, and Eric Platt, Eric, where you at? Yeah, he's not here. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> He's out there winning souls right now. Um, anyway, Eric does a great job, and he's here somewhere probably. He's in the shadow, see, in the darkness, in the light, light of the world, man. Anyway, Eric does a great job at teaching grace. Uh, you, you really enjoy his class, and I'd encourage you to go listen to that. Uh, in his class, uh, Matt Seifert actually did one on holiness uh, on the Two Towers series that Eric was doing. Uh, Matt did a, a thing on, on holiness, and honestly, I got to have you go listen to it. It's probably one of the best teachings on holiness I've ever heard. In fact, this is a, here's a little clip, I and mean, he said this. He goes, how come there are no songs about how we are holy? And I was like, oh, man, like you start thinking about that on the surface. It sounds sacrilegious or something, you know, but then you start thinking about it, and you're like, wait a minute. It's his life in me, right? Anyway, that was an interesting point. There's a really lot of interesting things of note in there. Uh, and then uh, also, if you are the person that says, Javen, you talk a lot about transparency, vulnerability, talking with God. I never hear from God. Like, maybe you're that person, and I don't feel bad, okay? Uh, there is uh, some teaching online as well uh, called Hearing God's Voice, uh, done by Ray Harms, which uh, was an excellent series. Uh, and I tell you what, I don't want to spoil it. There's this one thing especially that I talked to him this morning about, and I won't spoil it, but it really is a huge help if you are the person that says, I don't know how to hear from God, okay? So go listen to that. You can find it online. Uh, you can go to our YouTube and all that kind of stuff and find the resources. Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. God, I, I pray that you would help us. God, we need to be reminded all the time of your goodness, of your, of your promise, of the things we sung about this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, uh, help, help us find peace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to talk about reconciliation over resolution, okay? Reconciliation, if you can picture this, is the most important thing that you have to give away. It is your ministry. Every single one of us are a part of that ministry. You have the ministry of reconciliation. Do you wake up in the morning and first think about your job, or do you first think about, no, I got a ministry to get to? <laughs> That's who you are. You get to go out to your job and offer this ministry that you have been given, this ministry of reconciliation. And I, I hope to prove to you today that if, if you are waiting for the world to be resolved, if you are waiting for all of the things to make sense, if you are waiting for all the things that you're hoping for to come true and all of those things, well, <laughs> you know where you're living, right? Uh, instead, if we go for reconciliation, right? In other words, there's some things that only God knows. There's only some things that only he can figure out, and it's, it's above my pay grade. But what he did give to me, and he said, Javen, it is at your level, is reconciliation. 
So I hope to show you that today, this, this, this peace that we have. And it begins, of course, with understanding that we are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And it's because you have a ministry of peace. You have a ministry of reconciliation that you stand out. You look totally different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world's always at each other's throats. And you come with peace. <laughs> Hi, I'm a peacemaker. I'm Javen. I'm a peacemaker. Do you wake up saying that? I'm so-and-so. Whatever your name is, don't say Javen. That's weird. I'm a peacemaker. <laughs> That's who I am. Love keeps no record of wrong, so I don't either. I don't either. Well, that's easier said than done, isn't it? And it's going to retake the Spirit's work. It's going to take his help. There's going to be times you're going to sit with him and go, man, I got some records of wrongs that I remember, and God's going to say, hold on, let me help you, you know? Come talk to me about it. But we prioritize resolution. What I want to show you is that God does not prioritize resolution, making all things work together. He prioritizes uh, uh, restoration and reconciliation. Let's take a look at this together in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. All right. <laughs> you can't read that and not think about it a little bit. Okay. Did you catch what God did? He, he, he's doing something here that is totally mind-blowing. He reconciles the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. H how often do we do this? Like somebody burns you good, and you go, you know, I'm not going to count that against you at all. <laughs> I'm not even going to be upset about it. Because that's exactly what that said. It says that at his weakest moment, right, which we'll look at here in a moment, that he didn't count our trespasses against us. That's not how God is. Instead, he commits to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on his behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you know that God is begging you? Receive this reconciliation. He made him, here's the mind-blowing part, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. He who knew no sin. I mean, guys, this is mind-blowing. We can't wrap our heads around this. You can't. It's impossible to understand that the God of the universe who knew no sin could become the entirety of it all. <laughs> And he would do this for you and for me because he was more preoccupied, not with resolution, but with reconciliation. He wanted peace between us. That was his motivation. What is your motivation when you go to work things out? How often do we, we want resolution so bad that we'll just grind someone down to get it? <laughs> well, you, you, you see it my way now, right? <laughs> right? That's how we work. And God says, I know you're never going to see it my way, so I'm going to come and make peace with you. <laughs> Oh, and then you're going to see it his way for sure. But he starts, he prioritizes with this idea of peace. How often do we qualify reconciliation? Well, I'll, I'll forgive them once, once they, you know, come to me and ask for, you know, all that. How often do we just proactively go ahead and just act, act in the way that we are? Act in the way that the life within us gives us the ability to do and go, even if you don't do the right thing, I will. Even if you don't respond the same way that I hope you will, I will give peace because I'm a peacemaker. You can do that, and God demonstrates that. Now, this morning, to see this, I, I want to look, look at two different sets of brothers, okay? Because I've got two brothers, and I know what this feels like. I want to look at these two sets of brothers, and I want to see how reconciliation was better than, than, than uh, resolving all of it, okay? So the first, the first uh, family we're going to look at, or the first group of brothers we're going to look at, is Esau and Jacob. 
Now, they were twins. I've got a set of twins, okay? And I can tell you what, twins can be totally different, okay? And these guys were totally different. Esau, as you know, was hairy. Uh, Jacob wasn't. I don't know why that's an important detail. Esau must have been really hairy is all I'm saying, okay, <laughs> like for that to be a detail. But anyway, uh, Esau was, you know, I mean, in the womb, right? These guys are fighting it out. They're duking it out. Look, my twins came out, and Asher, no lie, was like bruised up. Like Anna beat him up. Like this is a real thing with twins, all right? So, so they're in the womb. They're fighting. You know the story. Esau's born, and Jacob's holding on to his heel on the way out. I don't know how that's even possible. Like that's so weird to me. But I love this, man. Like that's how competitive they were. They're like redefining science. And so they're, they're born, and, and, and you know the story, right? Uh, Esau, he goes out, and he hunts all day long. He stinks, right? But he comes home. He's that rough and tough guy. Jacob, his mom loves him, man. He hangs out with mom, and that's kind of the relationship. And now there's coming a time here where, where uh, the birthright is, is, to be, is to be given away. And, and before that, though, this is a brother thing. Uh, Esau and Jacob are in the kitchen one day, their dad's getting older, and they know that there's time is coming where this birthright, by the way, if you don't know what a birthright is, it was this really important thing, which uh, I could go really into, but just to capture this one element of it, it's, it's to be the father of the entire house. If you imagine the honor and the privilege of the day to be the father of the entire home, this was an honor given to the firstborn. This was something that you should treasure because, wow, you get to do this. Well, one day, you know the story, they're sitting there, Jacob's making some stew, Esau comes on in, he's been out there killing stuff all day or whatever in the world he was doing to smell so bad, and he comes inside, and all I know is, 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 is he asks, he's like, let me have a piece of that soup, let me have that soup, and if you give me the soup, I'll give you my birthright, and he trades away his birthright for soup. Guys, listen, we've all been hungry, right? We get this to some degree, like sometimes you're like, I know it's not worth that, but man, I'm so hungry, right? And amongst brothers, listen, you know brothers make deals all the time like this. Like this was not probably the only deal that was ever made, but amongst these two guys. And yet it matters. And so in this moment where Isaac is now, he's dying, well, what happens is, is Jacob sneaks in ahead of time and his mom puts like fur on his arms or something. I don't know what all happened here, but she made his arms hairy. She put some stank on him and she goes in there and he's like, I can't, Isaac can't see. He's like, I think this is my son. And he blesses him, okay? And he blesses Jacob, not Esau. Now, here we go. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 27. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he, he also made savory food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, well, then who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came? And I blessed him. And yes, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, father. <laughs> oh, boy, that had to hurt. Now listen, you, you can hear the cry of every person in this room. You've, all of us have had this moment where something was just not fair, right? It was taken from you or it was stolen. And this is the cry of Adam. <laughs> this is the same cry when he lost it all, right? It's the same thing he would have said is, please still bless me, God. <laughs> I know I messed up, but won't you still bless me? And I love that during all of this is the background to keep thinking, right? That this promise that was made to Abraham we know is passed on to Isaac. And here's Isaac passing on this incredible promise. This incredible promise that's going to be bigger than, than all of these players. 
But this is the cry of Adam of, of, I didn't see what I had. And Esau gives up the promise of God. He trades it away in the same way that Adam traded away his birthright. He traded away being a child of God. He, he gave up the promise of God for, for a meal as well, <laughs> in fact. Verse 41, so Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Wow, was he seeking reconciliation? <laughs> no, he was seeking resolve. He wanted to make it right. He wanted to fix what was taken from him. And hey, if Jacob's out of the picture, I'm the oldest again. You know, that's what he wanted. And so you know the story, Jacob is sent away. He goes off to visit family. And we get this incredible story of total and utter failure, by the way. Fellas, if you want to read a fun story about if you're you know, looking for a woman and stuff, go read that story and find out what he went through. The father-in-law tricks him. He works 14 years for two different women. I mean, it's, it's quite the Jerry Springer show, if I can be honest. All right? And so <laughs> this is where God chose to be born. Okay? Like, he wanted this. So don't, I'm not making fun. Uh, <laughs> it's just this is where he lives. Genesis 28, look at this. Jacob continues, he moves on, and he has this dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Wow. Pause on that, because this is now associated with us. <laughs> because of what God was doing through a promise, Jacob, not to any credit of your own, not because you've done a thing, I'm going to bless every family on the earth through you. Wow, that's pretty incredible. And this is the promise, by the way, as we read this. It's now living in us. This was talking to us, speaking to what we were going to be. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Big words from God there. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Didn't know it. And it caused Jacob to do something. It caused him to worship, and it caused him to give. Can I tell you, that is always what happens when you run into grace. Anytime you run into grace, the first thing you're going to want to do is worship, and you're going to want to give. <laughs> it's just a reaction. And so in this moment with God, he has this awesome, this awesome moment with him where he gets this promise. He hears this promise that he had no part in. It was a promise that was actually given to Jesus by birthright. Now, I love this. I've said it before, but God is reconciling, right? He's working on reconciliation all throughout the story. We think he's just working to sum it all up and fix it all up. He's, he's going for reconciliation. It's going to solve everything. But God was working on this the entire time. And let me give you an example of how profound that can be. Uh, I don't know if, if you had a friend. I want you to imagine that you have a friend, okay? And she says, I'm hearing from God, and I'm going to have children through a bunch of different people, okay? You might have an issue with that, okay? You might say, I don't know, that doesn't sound like wisdom. Uh, well, that's exactly what happens here, right? Uh, Jacob ends up getting uh, married to two different women. Uh, one can, can, can have babies and one can't, and the one that can't is the one he's so in love with, Rachel. And she can't have any babies. So he ends up having babies with Leah, then a handmaiden, and then another handmaiden. <laughs> and up to this point, we're at the 11 kids, okay? This is the family God said I'm going to be born into. <laughs> this is the family I'm going to work through. 
Do you see why he does the things he does? Because all of us, we can laugh, but all of us really are in that same family. <laughs> all of us are a part of the same dysfunction. He comes to us and he uses these things. Look at this. He comes to Rachel and the Bible says, then God remembered Rachel and from Rachel we get Joseph. You remember Joseph? He's going to get thrown into a pit, then he's going to become basically a king of Egypt. <laughs> right? God had a plan. He had a plan. And even in the midst of all this stuff, he's working it. So he decides to go home. And it says this. Jacob says, God, my, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. And I love this. Even though he knew that God was holding on to him by a promise. And even though you may know that God is holding on to you by his promise, he still had his doubts. In fact, he devised his own plan, right? He prayed this prayer and then he goes, okay, what I'm gonna do is when I see Esau, I'm gonna give him a ton of sheep and stuff and be like, hey, are we cool? <laughs> like, make amends. He had all these plans, right? And I love this, that in this moment, he actually begins to wrestle with the Lord. He finds himself wrestling with the Lord and, and his, his hip gets dislocated, <laughs> Can I tell you, if you're about to go face an enemy, and now you've lost your ability to run away, <laughs> Jacob knew he was on a crash course for either reconciliation or resolution. It was going to be one of these two things. He gets his name changed to Israel, which means you will rule as God. <laughs> all of this through all of these mistakes and all of these things that were happening. So he goes back to Esau, and he sees 400 men with him. Now imagine what you would do. You see your brother. You remember the last time you saw your brother. And now he's got 400 dudes with him. And you can only imagine what's about to happen. So he goes with the plan, right? He's weakened. He has to trust God. He can't run. He can't do that. He really has to rely solely on God, which can I tell you is the best place for all of us. It's the best place. If you feel right now confused, bewildered, I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. I know. It's, it's totally backwards. So he goes up to him, and you know what happens in this moment. Esau, the Bible says in verse, verse, uh, Genesis 33, verse 4, Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. They wept. Man. God was up to something. Jacob had no idea. Israel had no idea that God was up to something. He was reconciling. He was making peace. Peace is the game. Peace is the, peace is the prize. It's the goal. Peace. And in this moment, think about all of the things that they could have talked about, and they didn't, did they? Have you ever found yourself in this position where, man, you, maybe you wanted to hash out all the ways this person hurt you or didn't hurt you and all, and you just found peace instead? I can tell you, it's supernatural. And in this moment, this was a supernatural moment where God, he makes everything work together for good to those who are loved by him, who walk by faith with him. This is what scripture says, is that as we lean on him and we walk with him, he will restore. He will cause resolution. And what we can focus in solely on is peace, giving peace away, being peacemakers. 
Look at one more story of these two brothers. You got Esau and Jacob, and then you have a story of a prodigal son. And there were two brothers in this story too, and Jesus shared this story. In case you've somehow never heard the story, there were these two sons, and one was older, one was younger. And the older one worked real hard, you know, he was always working the farm, and and the younger one came to the father and he said, I want my share of the family inheritance. You got to understand, in this culture, that's completely crazy. Like, you don't do that. Like, that's, that's, that's the equivalent of saying, I want out of the family. Like, I, I'm done with this family. It's offensive. It's hurtful. I don't know if you've ever had something like that happen to you, but you don't know how to react. <laughs> I'm done with you. That's what he said. So he takes some money. He goes out, and you know the story. He squanders it. He ends up blowing it all. He ends up in a, in a pig slop, <laughs> feeding pigs and kind of looking at their food going, man, that looks pretty good. A famine had hit the land. There was no food anywhere. But all he could think about is, you know, my dad, my dad, he always, he always had food. He always had enough to share with the servants and other people. And I wonder if I went home to my dad. <laughs> now, I love this, this other part of the story that we kind of get is the father, his father, always believed and hoped his son would come home. Because we get this picture from him looking. He's constantly looking down the driveway. There's always this anticipation of his dad going, look, I'm not worried about resolution. I'm worried about reconciliation. <laughs> and I love this moment where, of course, the son comes home, and, and, they, and they, it all works out, and they hug, and they kiss, and that, it's a beautiful scene. The son doesn't even get his apology out because the father's too busy just loving on him and falling on him, and just, my son is home. But what I want to focus on is not all of that. <laughs> I want to focus on the older brother, the one who had been there the whole time, the one who had been working. You know the story. He's sitting there. He's, everyone's partying and celebrating, and he's outside, and he's all mad. <laughs> and the father comes outside to him, and he says, what's, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? And he says, I don't get it, Dad. He took half of our money. He took it out there. He wasted it all away, and he came back, and you're throwing the biggest party ever for him? That doesn't make any sense. Dad, he didn't want to be a part of this family. And look at what the father says. The father looks at him and he says, son, son, you've, this has always been yours. Remember, he's the oldest. Who had the birthright? The oldest. This was his farm. <laughs> he's teaching his oldest son one last major point. Son, you're about to be the father of, of the whole family. You're about to take care of the entire family. You need to understand that the point of being the head of the family is not to resolve all the issues. It's to be the peacemaker. Son, you're going to be a peacemaker, and your son was, my son was dead, and now he's alive. There's peace. There's peace again. You see the point between these two stories? We always go for resolution, man. We want answers. We want, we want everything to be resolved and solved and fixed and everything in its right place. And we have no capacity to do that. <laughs> All we can honestly do, and it's the best thing for us, is to trust God, walk with him, and seek out opportunities to create peace. You and I get to do that because of this life that's within us. And meanwhile, while we create peace, he'll resolve everything else all around you. He'll fix it all. He'll make it all work together for good. That's his promise to you. And all you have to do is go and give away peace. We have a birthright. (laughs) You have a birthright. You are a peacemaker. I have fought for resolution most of my life. (laughs) I'd say if I were to put it on a scale, I have mostly fought for resolution. I want to fix things or solve things. And as I'm getting older, I'm learning that that that's not been the way to do it. (laughs) 
Sometimes you, you get to be a part of the resolution, and that's cool. But a lot of the time in this planet, what you and I actually have a part in is reconciliation. It's being a peaceable force in a chaotic world. That's what you and I get to go be. It's a huge, huge calling. It's a huge opportunity. And, and God first demonstrated this to us. Look at Romans 5.8. God demonstrated this to us. He demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we had nothing to offer him, while we were in fact dead, he died for dead people. That doesn't make sense. You and I wouldn't even consider that as an option. He did because he knew how to make peace. He knew how to become like us and die and make peace. Colossians 1.18, in doing so, he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. What are you resolving for? What are you, what are you, what are you wanting to be in first place? You want, to, you want to be the winner? You want to have your team win? You want to have whatever? He's first. He always wins, every single time. And that doesn't bug you at all, does it? Because his life is in you. You can't lose, even when it looks like you lose, <laughs> because you're too busy winning. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be, he would be the firstborn among many brothers. This plan that started with Abraham, by a promise, not by anything Abraham did, got passed on to Isaac, who just got off of an altar. He didn't do a whole lot, but not die, right? To Jacob, who went off and messed it all up, I mean, guys, it just keeps going all the way until it got to Jesus. Ah, this is what it was all about. It was all about him and that he made peace. And for those of us that came later, who came after all of that happened, I think we live in the most exciting of all times because he took all of that and he put it inside of you. He took all the history of the Bible and he goes, okay, here, putting that entire story inside of you because it's an entire story about peace. It's not a story about a wrathful God chasing people down with a stick. It's about peace. God saying, please come into peace. Come. I, I've made peace. Come. Come be at peace. Whatever's troubling you, whatever's bothering you, come be at peace. You can find peace here. I give peace not like the world does. It's not, it's not in resolution. <laughs> I give peace by who I am. Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the church where God says this is where the fullness of God exists. <laughs> Not in this building, in us. The fullness of God exists within us. It's not even just me. It's us. It has to be us we're a body and we need each other. Pleru, as you guys know, this Greek word, it means to complete or to fill completely. But I love that scripture also shows us that God doesn't just perfect this thing for us. He doesn't just give us perfect peace, but he actually does something that I think Eric would love. And that is this other word. It comes from this word pleuris and it means to cram. <laughs> if you guys know Eric, you know. But there you go. God crams, okay? even more. In the, the picture the Bible gives you is a net. It's a net that is actually being stretched. That's how much life God has given you. That's how much peace God has given you. That's how much every, he gave you his life. 
It can barely fit in the vessel. He's got to cram it all in. John testified him. John the Baptist said this. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. That was an entirely different day. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now catch this. No one has seen God at any time except the one, the begotten one of God, who came from the Father. He explained him. He explained him. So whatever you have formed in your mind of what God must be like, and it, and it was all pictures and things before Jesus, I encourage you, see it all again, but look through Jesus' eyes. Because we got a lot of things wrong about God. We got a lot of things mixed up about him. We act sometimes like he's nervous. <laughs> we act sometimes like he's going, oh, wait, did I get the wrong day? Or That's how we feel sometimes. And yet God is sitting there saying, that we can be peacemakers. You know, I, I wonder, what, what would it have been like if Jesus was the older brother in the story? You know, the prodigal son story. What would have happened if Jesus is like, and now my part, here's me in the story, you know? You know, I, I don't know what he would have done, but I, I believe he would have left the farm and gone after his brother. I believe he would have left the 99 to go after the one that was lost. And that's the difference between somebody who is self-righteous and somebody who's righteous by grace. I, I, didn't, I didn't earn this. I'm not out to resolve all of my life's issues. <laughs> They're not going to all be resolved. I promise you that. But what I can do and what you can do is we can work together to create peace. Will you agree with me on that? Will we, will we come together as a people of peace? Because he reconciled everything when we were all in his enemies. Let's do the same thing. Father, I, uh, I love you. <laughs> I don't often know what to say because you're just so good. You're just so big. Lord, I, I know what to pray. Father, I, I pray that you'd help us this morning to stop trying to figure everything out. Please help us. <laughs> Lord, we don't like operating blind. We don't like operating not trusting the things we see and hear. And yet, that's why you gave us your spirit. Father, I pray this week we would lean into your spirit and hear you. Lord, not in the ways that maybe we often come to you. We come to you looking for answers. Lord, I pray that you would give us the peace that passes understanding this week. Every person that has sounded my voice, Lord, I pray would experience this peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.